oh dude I, f- I forgot the craziest one went with steve aoki to uh hawaii and went big wave surfing and i'm like on the back <laughs> i'm on the back of like a jet ski with some dude who's usually like if he you know professional jet ski guy that they shoot like jaws you know the jaws that yeah. break with and we have like 30 30 foot waves and i'm on the back with the camera holding on to him and he's just gunning it trying to get this footage it was nuts this is back to your story hello sir hello how are you doing bro good man i love it i love it maddie boy been trying to get on you on here for a little bit now oh yeah it, it, it's seriously an honor to have um Mr. Matty Dukes on the podcast. I, I appreciate it, my my young friend. I appreciate you, man. How's your... Uh, I feel honored to be here, actually. This All right. Cool. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, yeah. Have you done podcasts before? No. First, first, ah, first time. Popping your cherry. Exactly. All right. Let the nerves soak in. It's <laughs> <laughs> a weird thing, man. It, yeah. it, it, we're here. We're we are it. here. We're, we're here live in the flesh, the Back to Your Story studio. Absolutely. I love it. Thank you, bro. I Love appreciate you it. the place. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, it's uh, it's uh, a, a little slice of home in my home. <laughs> a home away from home. It's a home. home. <laughs> it's a home away from home inside my home. Exactly. Wrap that around your head, motherfuckers. Exactly. Jesus Christ, dude. So, Matt, for the people just tuning in, uh, you want to do a, a brief introduction? Uh, my name's Matt. Um, it's a weird thing to introduce yourself. I feel like I asked myself that a lot like who who am i yes <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> who are you um i'm a i'm a son i'm a brother recently an uncle which was very exciting my nice. sister had a baby um i i work in film and television um it's weird like i i don't I don't do one thing. I feel like I do a few different things. So like in my head, and I might sound a little douchey, but I'm, I'm a content creator. Yeah. So I, I, I film stuff, edit stuff, majority, like do a lot of editing, um, directing, producing, all that is kind of encompassed in, you know, filmmaking, yeah. tel- you know, video making. Creating content. Creating content. That's it. You're a content creator. <laughs> Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. And that is it. That's it. <laughs> Thanks for uh, listening to Back to Your Story. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and now we're out. So, sir, um, you know, Mr. Content Creator, you know, when you look back at your own story, where does that start? Uh, South Africa. South Africa. Mm-hmm. Very nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, you, you grew up in South Africa. Right back then, did you always have dreams to be a content creator or work on film? Um, it was either film, music, or art. I would say right. um, it's funny. Like I grew up uh, when I was younger, playing in a lot of bands. Uh, really into. I've been into music all my life. My mother taught me how to play guitar when I was a wee youngin, and uh, loved that. And um, I think as I got older. It kind of uh, went more into video making. Me and my friends would, you know, VHS record. I think my my dad went on this trip for work to Singapore, and he came back with, like, a VHS recorder. Nice. And I remember that was, like, a big turning point. I was like, yeah. And me and my buddies would go and shoot, like, <laughs> dumb shit in the garden and, yep. you know, like, do little things. 
fill up balloons with fake blood and do squibs and you know that kind of stuff yeah. um and then i think when i got a little more older the thinking of like a career it was um i thought graphic design was really cool but this is you know this was like a long time ago before like uh <clears throat> having real acts and also growing in up in south africa we didn't have the great access to the technologies that like you guys had out here. So yeah. it was more just like, what can we do with what we have? Yes. Um, and yeah, that's it. You know, about being resourceful, you know, it, it's so crazy. Uh, VHS. It's like, what is that? Exactly. You know, it's like this <laughs> big, rectang- yeah, big rectangular <laughs> thing with this film inside of it. Right. And you, yeah. uh, do you remember like back in the day, I don't know if you guys had like blockbusters, but, um, in, in South Africa, it was oh, like, we have VHS shop. Okay. We didn't have blockbusters, but we had but similar, mom and pop VHS uh, It was like this slogan, like be kind and rewind, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. And it was just like, you'd get, uh, you'd get docked if you didn't rewind the tape because <laughs> their people had to rewind it for you. It was like shop? fucking crazy. And it was just like flat forward you know 30 40 years later and it's just like it's streaming everything watching all this stuff that just like magically comes through the air on your fucking phone it's just making movies with your little phone a hundred percent like top-notch quality uh 4k like beautiful stuff on your phone today like this was like the you know like wizardry back then like if if if, you know when we were 10 years old and someone pulled out something like this you would have thought they were a fucking alien (laughs) Right. Like it's so crazy to think. Right. But growing up in South Africa, what was that? What was that like? You know, especially like during that time, um, you know, we hear the, the news like apartheid and everything like that for, for you, what did that look like? Um, I mean, it was, uh, it was definitely a very unique experience. Um, trying to think how best to the cool, th- the thing that I love about it growing up during that time is I was a kid in school as apartheid was being abolished and Mandela coming into his presidency and seeing the entire country change. And this was, I mean, I think he was elected in 94, I want to say. I was like, I was, I was quite young back then. You want to pull but, that up? Uh, look up Nelson Mandela when he was yeah, elected. Because he was freed from, freed from prison. And then um, with the ANC party, and I, I mean, they've done documentaries and films about it, but um, uh, President de Klerk and Mandela had this relationship, and there was this really great handing over of the reins at that time. And I mean, it's weird to say now, but like, I remember, I'm trying to think how old I was, but I remember having the first black kids in the classroom with us. Wow. And it was it was like a new thing. You that, know what I mean? That is so crazy. When was it, Tyler? Uh, 1994. So yeah, 1994. Like, you know, to, to think those types of things happened in America way before I was born, you 100%. know? Um and, and, and 1994, which was, you know, in, in all aspects of it, it was not that long ago, right? Absolutely. Um, I always see South Africa almost, or Africa in general is kind of like, in my head, like the Wild West. Okay. I feel like it's, in terms of America's history and America's story, we're like that much further back, but there's very similar things that have transpired in both uh, continents. Yes. Yeah. That makes sense. No, no, 100%. 100%. For you being a little kid during that time, did you even understand what was going on? Not completely, but I do remember 
I mean, there was so much segregation. Uh, there was a lot of violence back then. Um, you know, it was, it was kind of dangerous. And there was, I, I do remember like a palpable fear amongst people that once apartheid was abolished, there would almost be a reverse apartheid. So I do remember like a lot of white people leaving the country at the time. And, you know, friends, parents, like going to New Zealand or we're moving to Australia because who knows what's going to happen kind of thing. And there was, a, there was definitely a fear of, I don't know, murder. You know, like yeah. it, it could have just gone so the other way and it just didn't. I mean, that's a beautiful thing. It right? is, man. Yeah. The African people are the most beautiful people in the world. They're just, um, and I think it was also, I mean, I'm by no means an expert. I just yeah. lived it. and But I know that the uh, collaboration between de Klerk and Mandela saved South Africa. Because yeah. it could have gone so many different ways, but they just came with uh, like love and understanding. And uh, I mean, Mandela to me is a, a hero. Yeah. Like he's, he saved that country from all sorts of turmoil. And uh, I remember they have that, like the... Uh, truth and reconciliation um, uh, court cases where people would be held accountable for their actions over the over that time, but there was definitely, I mean, I, I wouldn't say it was like the smoothest handover in history, yeah. but um, it was um, it was kind of a crazy thing to live through. I mean, it was a big time of change. And did you feel that? I mean, because being young, it's like you're you're a kid. You don't you don't really grasp the magnitude of what is 100%. what is going on but the the adults definitely do mm -hmm. in in your sphere of things what how did the adults handle you know such a a big change a, a very necessary change like obviously right but what was that like um i think i mean in my personal experience it was a mixed bag um I know my family was just like, you know, we're going to, this is great. This is yeah. amazing. But that wasn't, it, it was like almost like a 50 50 in terms of like the thought process behind it. Cause there were still a lot of people that wanted it to keep going how it was. And there was a lot of fear. And I think, um, uh, yeah, but I think as, as it kind of slowly progressed, everything got better. Yeah, definitely. What was it like before that? Was there um like whites only areas and absolutely like similar to America? Very yeah yeah very similar to America. I'd say it's exactly the same as America. Wow, back in those times, yeah you know, yeah like white, sit, you know sitting at the back of the bus or this is your bathroom and this is your bathroom kind of thing. I I think I came I like growing up I came kind of at the back end of that. Yeah, so I didn't experience as it as much as my parents did but uh, thinking back now to when i was younger before the transition i definitely remember it was different yeah it was like that yeah i can't imagine that that experience of being some of the the first you know little black you know boys or girls um getting going to school with you mm -hmm. I, was there a lot was it just a few um it's it in my class specifically, uh, as that transition changed, I think it was probably like, I want to say like 20 or 30% of the classroom. Okay. We didn't have huge classes. I think you guys have bigger classrooms out here. But like say if there's a, I mean, say we had our year would be 20 kids 
we'd have three or four black kids wow. in that class. And then also like, um, yeah, they, they, they kind of filter in. And then as it progressed, it got more and more kind of, um, equal. If that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, it's definitely, uh, uh, it's a long story of, of a lot of, hate and violence and, and you know a, a group of people in a nation that that stood up for for change and and it's you know 1994 not being so long ago and and just learning from our own past on um, we we see what happens when more people come together than being separated mm-hmm. um and, and that is a very very unique experience that you got to live through um going through school so now to go off you know a different topic right um you know go, going through school and living up in, in your own home was the arts a thing everyone did or was it something that you know was you know just you um not necessarily just me but like that was definitely something i gravitated towards i mean i think i think that's a hard thing when you're growing up as a kid you're trying to figure out your way in this world right and yeah. there's so many different um my parents want me to be a doctor or i'm gonna be a lawyer i'm gonna be this i'm gonna be that my parents were kind of open to me picking and choosing the lane i was gonna make for myself and it just kind of fit um and so like i went um, after school, it was kind of, you know, it's, it's that big decision. Like, what are you going to do with your life? You know yes. I mean? Every yeah. kid has to hand, like deal with that. And your parents are like, what? So high school's over. Yeah. What are you doing? You know? Yeah. And, um, my, uh, my journey went a, a few different ways, but, um, I thought at that time with the technology that we had available, I thought that graphic design would kind of be the thing that a, I could make a living because I had older friends that were working in that. And I know that South Africa specifically as a country has a, a lot of great graphic design firms. Like wow. the, uh, as a people, they kind of skew that way. There's like a lot of art and creativity in that sense. Um, and that's what I thought I wanted to do. So I went to university and did art and design for the first year. And then for the second year, you kind of get accepted in to the graphic design uh, program. Okay. You, kind of, you kind of have to like, you know, show that you're good enough to get in. Yeah. I unfortunately wasn't good enough <laughs> and I was probably smoking too much weed at the time <laughs> and kind of, you know, not being the best student. Um, and at, I think at that point, like that was like a pretty bad time for me. Because we all went in and it's, it's it's almost like a casting call. There would just be like a list of names on a wall. Yeah. And you go and see if your name's on there. You, you're, you've you been accepted to yes. the, the graphic design program. If it's not on there, you're not, you're not going. <laughs> <laughs> so from a class there. of maybe, I don't know, I think 30 kids, only 10 would be accepted. Wow. And I was not part of that 10. <laughs> so, <laughs> and how old were you at this time? Um, I was... Probably about 19. Okay. Yeah, 18, 19, I think. Maybe, no, not 20 yet. Um, and then after that, because that was, in in my head, that was the safe bet in a way. And then after that, because I've, 
I grew up with music and I loved music my entire life. And I was like, I want to do music, but you can't really do music here. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, if you want to do music, you go to America, you go to England, yeah. you go somewhere else. Like, there's not a big, I mean, there is a music scene, but like, if you're going to make it as a artist or yeah. as a something, you, you got to go, you got to get out of there. Um, so I had a long conversation with my parents. I was like, I, and I guess I didn't love it. That's why I, I didn't love the art and design. It was kind of the safe choice, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and then I was like, I want to just go, f you know, a hundred percent into music. And I enrolled in a sound engineering course. Okay. So I know all about all these of this, and all of it, all these all things. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And, and, sorry, continue. Oh yeah, no. So that's uh, that's kind of what I did, and I uh, ended up doing that for uh, two years. I and thought. where was that? Uh, that was in. I grew up in a city called Port Elizabeth, which is yeah. on the coast of um, South Africa, kind of on the uh, like the south. East Coast. Um, I did it. It was a two-year course. Um, you you did the first. You got a diploma. You did the second. You got a degree, and um, but the degree was in Cape Town. So at that time, I um, I kind of did that course. I mean, there's a whole there's a whole bunch. Of, like I was uh, playing music. I was DJing at clubs at the time. Um, producing music and that course was all about re recording and producing music um, and then um, I got accepted into the second year in Cape Town so did the big the big move to yeah. Cape Town from Port <laughs> this is about I don't know six hour drive um, and and lived in lived in Cape Town for a year worked at a surf shop and DJ did clubs at night wow. and yeah and went did the course and um yeah got my degree in sound engineering what was that life like right being what in your early 20s yeah young 20s DJing, um, going it was to cool school, man working at cape town and then and also like cape town was like the hub okay and this i mean i've done a fair amount of traveling in my life cape town is still one of my favorite cities in the world really it's it's beautiful man like there is a lot of poverty in the surrounding areas and that but the city itself, uh, I mean, if you just look at the image of like Table Mountain, it's on the water. Check that out. Everything's, you know, like uh, really cool people. Everyone is hustling. Table Mountain? Table Mountain. Table Mountain in Cape Town? Yeah. Let's <laughs> check it out. Let's check it out. Okay. And so this is where you were living at the time. Yep. I lived here for a year and oh a half. Oh my gosh, dude. Yeah. It's, that's, yeah. Whoa. That's it. So this, the, the, the mountain is, it's. If you think about it, it's almost like in a way it looks like Hollywood. So you got like Hollywood and then you got the Hollywood Hills. Yeah. Obviously nobody, yeah, yeah, yeah. nobody lives on that mountain. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, the, it's at, and it's also at the tip, like the bottom tip of Africa. It's like um, the, Isn't ca that the Cape of Good Hope. Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 Aren't the waters pretty treacherous right there? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> what was that book? Uh, it was about like a kid and a guy and they were going around the Cape and it was like a hundred foot swell. Oh, 100%. I lived that experience. Wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> what do you mean you lived that experience going through a 100-foot swell? When I was much younger, I think I, when I was 12 years old, um, my dad got gifted a, a boat. <laughs> and it was uh, we had to pick it up at a place called Mykonos, which is on uh, the west, like near Cape Town, but on, on the west coast, and drive it back to Port Elizabeth. So we did a whole trip basically around the Cape of Good Hope. And I think it was like a a six-day, six, six, day, 
six day travel journey. Okay. And that, uh, the second night we were on the boat, we went through crazy storms on, in, on the Cape of Good Hope, like right around there. It was, I think, I mean, basically we all did it in shifts. So I was with my dad and there were a couple other sailors on the boat and, um, you know, you took, took a couple of shifts each and, uh, it was probably like two in the morning in this crazy storm. How big are these waves? I mean, it was a big boat. It was like 30 foot boat and it was like surfing down the waves. No way. And then gnarly storms. I mean, I, I, (laughs) did you feel like you're going to tip or? Yeah, man. And, and, but also around there is these crazy coral reefs. Okay. So like the depthometer, I think it's called, like it'll go from like 20 meters, four meters. And like it kept going. So we're going over this crazy, like. So at any moment you can crash into the rocks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No way, dude. And I remember, I specifically remember after that trip, I didn't eat rice for probably like three years because we had eaten like this rice bowl Uh and I got the worst seasick I've ever been. And I went down to go to sleep and just got so sick. I puked up and I remember rice coming out of my nose. <laughs> no freaking way, dude. How scared were you? Uh, yeah, it's pretty scary. But then I remember we finally got through it. And the next morning we, uh, I mean, and then we found this bay that we could kind of like pull into Plettenberg Bay, which is really beautiful. And I, I remember after that, like, horrendous like scary night it was me and my dad and like the sun was coming up and we're in this like totally tranquil bay and there were all these dolphins swimming around the boat and i was like all right this is cool <laughs> like, so like it. one of the most scary experiences of your life turns into like a very beautiful surreal 100 yeah, yeah yeah i don't know man i don't know i'd have been so <laughs> freaking scared dude i'd have been so scared because i've just heard stories of how terrifying that water is mm-hmm. And then to actually go through that, I mean, did you, you, you? There was also like one other thing that made it even worse was is there's something I think it's called a bilge pump on the boat. So if water comes into the boat, um, it'll it'll pump it yeah, out. Yeah, okay. Pump it out, and there was something wrong with it, so it it, it had reversed. So as Shoot. the more they used it, the more it was pumping water into the boat. So you like we're going through these crazy swells and stuff, but then there's water on the floors. Oh no! And we're just like, I was like, we're like, this is it, <laughs> dude. And how long were you guys going through this? Like hours? The whole night, yeah, entire night. How could you even sleep? Oh no, no, you couldn't sleep. But the, yeah, I think at just at one point, I was just like, I, I went downstairs and like we weren't sleeping, but that's when I I, I clearly remember being sick. And you just wanted it over. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And 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 at that time, I mean, there was technology, but it's not like it is not, today. Not like it is today. Yeah, not yeah. like it is today, you know, yeah. where you can, you know, really forecast everything from your fucking phone. Oh, right? uh, no. They had like um, those crazy, like they were using sextants. I don't know if you know what a sextant is. No. It's like. Pull that up. A sextant? Literally like where you like. Um, like longitude, latitude. The- but it's like this contraption, like old, old timey, old school, where you, I think it's like you um, navigate th- by the stars. Wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> so if let's you, check this out. All right. A sexton. Uh, sextant. A sextant. Yeah. Holy crap. <laughs> oh, I've seen those. Yeah. Here, for the people listening, let me just read the, up the Wikipedia thing real quick so they can know yeah. what it is. 
Uh, a sextant, or oh, here we go. A sextant is a doubly reflecting navigation instrument that measure, measures the angular distance between two visible objects. The primary use of a sextant is to measure measure the angle between an astronomical uh, object and the horizon for the purposes of celestial navigation. Mm-hmm. That's so what I mean, you guys were using. Yes, I mean they definitely had some other stuff on there, but it was. I mean, it's, we didn't have GPS. Oh my god, dude! Can you imagine that, Tyler? No, I'm already scared of the sea, bro, bro. But I mean, I grew up like surfing, and like I, I I think like my former years were in the water, my entire life. Yeah, you know, growing up on the coast. So it wasn't. Man, you were surfing in South Africa. Yeah, like shark infested waters. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. One hundred percent. Any close encounters? Uh, for me, a couple close encounters, but I personally know three people that have been attacked by sharks. Deadly? One of, one of the guys, no, nah, not death, but like one of the guys lost his leg. Legs? Leg. Sorry. Oh, leg. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I forget his name. Neil. He was actually a professional bodyboarder, and he was one of the, the guys that were like kind of like making a scene in like on the international stage, yeah. uh, bodyboarding around the world, and uh, he got attacked by a shark in South Africa, and... Lost his leg. I met him a couple of times. He dated like my a good friend of mine's sister, so oh I, I got God. to know him. And and but he he didn't let it stop him, man. He like, still bodyboarded, yeah. Uh, he didn't bodyboard anymore, but he he did like um, I thought I think they call them max keys. Okay, it's like where you, you sit on it, and you, you you pull in. It's, it's almost like a surfing canoe, if you okay. will. Yeah, yeah, I've yeah, seen yeah, those. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, what's that? Um, it's a she's a chick. She's a professional surfer. She got like I think her arm or something. They off. made a movie about that. What's her name? Uh, I, I forget. We, we just I think she's an American girl. Female professional surfer, shark attack. Uh, what do you see? Oh, the movie's called Hamilton. Okay. Uh, oh, Sherry Hamilton? Um, Is that it? Let me see. Oh, Bethany Hamilton? Yeah, 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 yeah. Bethany Hamilton. Yep, 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 yep. Damn, that's crazy, dude. Uh, um, okay, so growing up in South Africa is definitely... Um, it's it's crazy. Did you ever like um go out and like go safaris or anything like that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um my dad was big into I mean, he, he would be better on your podcast than me. Honestly. Ah. Like he's had a crazy life. Like he has he he has stories for days, but um he was an explorer. Um he was like a big like Land Rover dude, so wow. like, you know, like when we were younger kids, like we would um Namibia is just to the um, it's just above South Africa on the on the um, west coast, and um, I think it's called the Atosha Pan, which is like, uh, I mean, uh, Namibia itself is like a, a giant desert, but um, with amazing wildlife. Like you go, you pull in, like, and you just go, and we, you know, stay in tents and just cruise through. You know, for as far as you can see, it's just like sand jeans and stuff. And, and the movie is awesome, dude. Like, uh, we grew up there. Uh, one cool thing that I remember about Namibia specifically is the ghost towns. Um, because during the Second World War, um, it was occupied by Germany. Um, and then with, once the world, once the, uh, the war ended, they all bounced. Um, but what they left behind was the, the, the towns that they had built and all their horses. Wow. Um, so I remember specifically this one day we were driving up this road in the middle of a desert 
and suddenly there are like 30 wild horses just all galloping together and they have long manes because you know wow. they're wild yeah, and yeah. it's cool and then the ghost towns themselves are trippy because you'll go into the spot and you'll see a, a sand dune and there's like this little house popping out of the top and you walk into it but you realize that you're on the second floor so it's covered under the sand. Covered under the sand, yeah. So these sand dunes just like really like encapsulate. As the, as the wind yeah. came and the, the sand changed over the years, like there's entire towns where they just have them peeking out of these dunes and you can walk into them no and see the whole house, but it's underneath sand basically. Now, is there anyone like managing them or are they just like... Um, I think I think now there are. I think they've become kind of like tourist attractions where yeah. Um, yeah, where people come out specifically to see those spots. Wow, that's cool, man. Yeah. Very, very unique. Um, okay, so let's bring it back, right? Um, <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, so sound engineering, right? Um, you get into that, right? You're doing the, the second year. You're still in South Africa, right? When do you eventually, because I, I know that you eventually make the pivot to the UK, right? Correct. Yeah. When does that happen? Um, well, just to backtrack a touch, yeah, go I for remember it. my dad um, had a job in um, the UK. So we moved there for a year when I was younger. I think um, I was probably about 17. It was basically like the year before the final year of high school, if that makes sense. Yeah. And so we emigrated there, did the job. I went to school in the UK for a year, and then we came back to South Africa. During the time there, I my best friend from the new school that I was going to, his mom worked was a producer for the BBC. Okay. And I, you know, and he was DJ. We were DJ. We'd make music together. That was the whole thing. And then I came back to South Africa and then I basically finished my sound engineering course in Cape Town and went back and that was like, okay, now what? Now where are mm -hmm. we going? You know, like what's the, what's the next move? And, um, I'm fortunate. I thinking back in it now, like I was super fortunate because my dad is British. I had both a South African passport and a British passport. Wow. So I, if I chose to, I could go to England and live and work there if I wanted to, but that was not, that was like such a hard thing for for anybody else from South Africa when it comes to visas and work visas and travel visas and stuff. So I I um, I I was still in touch with my friend Jamie, and his mom was like, "Hey man," because uh, let me backtrack a touch. When I was thinking about what the next step was, I thought that composing music uh for movies would be an amazing career yeah you know, just doing soundtracks scores stuff like that and and knowing that she worked at a lot of post-production houses um she was like hey i can get you an interview if you're interested and i was like hell yeah that's awesome yeah, so yeah. i packed up a couple bags and jumped on a plane to the uk to london um with an interview to be a pa Okay. <laughs> Big moves, baby. Uh, yeah. I was like, hopefully this interview goes well. Yeah. So I'm, I'm back to Africa, which, I mean, that's cool too. But ended up working out. Um, started as a PA for a post-production company in the UK. Um, pretty big one. Like, I think they're probably the biggest in England. London called The Farm. Um, they had a few different uh, uh, buildings that were associated with that company. And... 
I just started serving people sandwiches and tea. There we go. Yeah. Big dreams. <laughs> yeah. I love it. I love it. Uh, and, and how old were you at this time? Um, I think I just turned, um, t- must've been about 22. Okay. Guessing, yeah. Was that a, I don't want to say a culture shock, but going from South Africa to the UK, different environment, different, definitely colder, the colder, <laughs> right. Just like on all different levels. And you moved to London, London. Yeah. Right. What was that experience like? And did you, I mean, I knew you knew someone out there, but you were pretty much on your own, right? Yeah. 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 Um, by my own. Um, I had another friend that I, uh, one of my good friends in school had actually emigrated there a couple of years earlier. So, um, I think when I first moved out there, I stayed in a hostel with him. Nice. Um, in, um, in London and then, uh, yeah, just started working. Um, it's funny. It's like the, the difference between the difference between South Africa, I would say South Africa is in, uh, in terms of the culture, humor, um, vibe is a, is a mixture of England and America. Okay. So people have asked me that before. And I've always said that like, it, it wasn't a giant culture shock. Cause I kind of grew up on like, american comedies and british comedy so like you know like there's a like i feel like england has a very specific sense of humor compared to american humor yes oh by far yeah but but growing up in south africa i appreciated both yes so apart from you know you're in the big city cold windy rainy snowy but in terms of being able to chat to people and uh you know connect with people it wasn't that much of a culture shock if that makes sense yeah absolutely um, when you were there, especially when you first started out, was it, was it mentally hard? You know, like, I mean, I know you're young, you're excited, but being, being alone away from the family on this new journey, what was that experience like? I think for me personally, um, I think it was exciting and, um, it's kind of like, come on, let's go, let's make it, you know, like I yeah. was, I was like pumped and I wanted like, I the energy and um, the excitement to go for it. And I worked a lot. <laughs> yeah, I worked a lot. I, I, I served a lot of teas, <laughs> served a lot of lunches and like made friends there. And kind of like, as, as I worked for that company, I started like seeing other um, working at a post-production house. You like, they have mixers, they have editors, they have colorists. Yeah. So I was introduced to all these other, um, uh, all these other jobs that like before I had no idea about. Yeah. Um, but I think in terms of it being scary or being by myself, I think I just kind of embraced it and I was more excited and just, you know, like uh, just thinking about like my, my folks back then or even just my friends back then, they're like, yeah, bro. Like it's almost like I had like a golden ticket as an opportunity to go and do something different you know, a lot of uh, the, the kids that I grew up with were working for their parents' companies or they were servers or, you know, like kind of um, in Port Elizabeth, it's, a, it's um, and this is a generalization, but it's kind of more of like a small town mentality. Yeah. Whereas like, I want to like break out and go try to do something different. Yeah. So I think that, um, that kind of just fueled me. I, yeah, I had, I had a decent time meeting new people. I started DJing in a club quite no way quite soon yeah so like um 
yeah, it was almost similar to what I was doing in South Africa, but in a totally new place. And um, yeah, it wasn't. Yeah, I think I was just like, let's go. I love that. I love that. Where do you get that from? Is that something that was instilled in you as a a young kid, that like go-getter mentality? Is that something you got from your dad, your mom, your own? I think... yeah, like like I said, my dad's like way cooler than me, and he'd probably be a way better interview. But um, I think I just um, kind of just got a little bit of that. Um, what does he always say? He had a saying when we were growing up, which I still think about this day. And he's like, "Life is an adventure." Yeah, and he, they were, they just wanted me to go do the thing. You know, I love that, and. Um, yeah, I mean, I can't complain. Like, I had a really cool childhood growing up. I love my parents, and they just kind of instilled me that drive, I guess. Um, and then it's also a part of you that kind of wants to make them proud. Of course. Yeah. I mean, I think any young kid that um, is is fortunate to grow up in a a good household wants to make you know their their parents proud. Yeah. Right. The people because I saw like it's all about the sacrifices, right? Like yeah. they. If you bring up some rad kids, you've made a lot of sacrifices in your life. Of course. You know? Yeah. Because <laughs> it's yeah. easy to just say, you know, fuck them off and do it. But, like, they were uh, they were, they were great. And I saw, like, it's so funny. As you get older, you, re- you only get, once you have that knowledge, once you're older, you see some of the f- sacrifices that be made that you didn't realize when you were younger. Yeah, it's it's so crazy to think like yeah, how your brain works as a as a kid. You you don't really understand the full magnitude of what your parents have to go through to to give you this life and give you this opportunity. And especially if you have good parents or a good mom or a good dad, right? Um, what they have to do, all that grind, that hard work. Um, sacrificing, you know, days, nights, things just to be able to provide. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't really comprehend until you're older, right? Absolutely. And and then when it when it clicks, you're like, oh my fucking god, why did I act like such a dickhead, right? <laughs> so, like what the yeah. fuck? <laughs> like why did I do that? It's so stupid, right? Right. But um, but yeah, I I totally understand what you're saying. You know, you you want you want to make the folks proud, man. One hundred percent. And uh, I didn't come from like. It wasn't always easy. I didn't come from money, but I think uh, when I think about it, like the the thing that I had like a little bit one up on maybe some of the kids that I grew up with was that British passport. And it's so weird. Like when you think about that kind of stuff, it's like there are so many talented people in this world that are amazing, but they won't get certain opportunities just because of where they live. And I feel like that's such a not cool thing dude it you you fucking hit the nail on the head listen man and i and i know we've talked about this before where even with my own issues having multiple sclerosis and and even on my worst fucking days man i i realize how fortunate i am to be a guy that was born and raised in Los Angeles, fucking California. Even though my father passed away when I was 17 years old, all the trials and tribulations, everything that I've gone through, what I was given, I won the fucking lotto. Wow. I won the lotto because I know I've said this so many times before on this podcast, dude, I could have been born in Venezuela, Afghanistan, Pakistan, like all these other fucking places 
um, North Korea, man, like all of these other places that are not blessed with the same opportunities, even South Africa, right? You know, the opportunities that we are given here in the States, it's insane. Mm-hmm. A lot of people take that shit for granted. Absolutely. Take it for granted. And it's, it's very, very unfortunate because, um, you know, America, even with all of its skeletons and all of its shit, man, is a very beautiful and fortunate country. Yes, there is bad shit. Like I get that's that's fucking anywhere. But like, dude, we we are as as a, as a culture, as a society, like we are we are definitely very blessed with the opportunities we have out here. Absolutely, man. I remember when I first came to the states, I I would get like angry <laughs> yeah. about like people that I would see that were just you know not taking advantage of the opportunities that I had. And I was like, motherfucker, like I've worked so hard just to be here. Yeah. And you're like taking it for granted. And that's, I mean, I've kind of chilled on that. Yeah. For a minute, but I remember <laughs> specifically when I first got here, cause it's not easy to get here if you're not from here. It's a fact, man. Um, and I would just be like, what are you doing, man? <laughs> it's crazy, man. It's, it's so crazy. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. So I, 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 I don't, I can't relate but I understand. Absolutely. Right? Because yeah, yeah. I, I, re- I fucking totally respect it. I totally respect it, man. And I know that I hit the lotto for sure. The life lotto, 100%. Um, all right. So uh, getting back to your story, right? It's like you're out there. You're doing the PA work. How long were you going through that process until you decided, well, you know, maybe I want to start making some content, mm-hmm. right? Did that come like way later down the road or? I think um, when I first got there, I had that drive that we discussed earlier. And yeah. I was like, I want to meet whoever I can to, you know, yeah. go up that totem pole, get up that ladder. Um, so, and as I said, like when I first got there, I thought that, you know, with my sound engineering, I thought music, uh, not specifically music, I thought the sound engineering thing was going to be my path. And as I started that new company where I saw those other disciplines or those other careers of editing, um, color correcting, music mixing, uh, sound, um, composing, I suddenly thought that the editors seemed to have, um, seemed more interesting to me, the video editors. Yeah. Because they had slightly more control over the narrative, slightly more control over the the mix because a lot of people you know an editor will put together the thing with the music and the dialogue and all the stuff and kind of molded and create it right yes and then the sound mixer would just take what they did and do some levels and make yeah. it sound nice i was like uh the other one sounds more interesting <laughs> to me yeah because they have more control in a way so and then also my love of music i I think I specifically remember even when I was a PA, I was like, that looks a little cooler to me. And then there was this one guy, Guy Harding. And this was back in the time where um, music DVDs were a big thing, like live concert DVDs, multi-camera concert DVDs um, were like a big thing, you know, like uh, big shows and, uh, you know, bands playing live and, then they come and they cut all the cameras together and do the DVD and also on uh, for for television broadcasts as well. And there was this one guy, Guy Harding, who 
every time he came in, he was slightly revered in the yeah. be like, oh, Guy Harding's coming yeah. in today. Let's make sure the the edit bay is nice and clean. Let's get him to <laughs> make sure the juices are in there. Let's get him whatever. And I was like, oh, this guy's interesting. So I kind of beca- started becoming more friendly with him. And like every time there was like a celebrity guest like coming to, I mean, I met Oasis. He would do like the Oasis DVDs. Like um, I met Boy George with him. Um, trying to think Coldplay. Um, uh, uh prodigy um youtube um big you know just like those, those big, big bands when yes. they roll in and i'm the guy bringing them their lunch yeah i was yeah, like this yeah, guy's doing something yeah, right yeah so uh I, I just started like kind of you know you kind of build a relationship become friendly and um the thing that i started doing was um also um the guy who was like the technical manager of this of the spot adam pete who um, taught me so much. Um, I'm in, forever indebted to him. Um, he would let me like, I would work my day shift and then at night I'd go into an empty bay and play with some of the footage that had come in and start learning how to edit and how to cut things. And I started sending them to Guy. And I'd be like, hey man, will you just check this out and let me know your thoughts? Wow. And through that relationship, kept kept sending, kept sending. And he was great. He would be like this is cool this you know give me notes and tell me what i was doing right or wrong or etc um and then um i think a year later so i think i worked in in london at that company for two uh, three years and built those relationships and then I, um at a specific time guy was working in the states a lot um he kept flying back and forth and then eventually he decided he's going to move there because he's getting so much work in the states like he's worked on uh some of the biggest shows in the world um um and he one day he just he he just him and his uh, wife moved there but i still kind of keep in touch with him and send him stuff for his review and one day he just uh got a call out of the blue he's like hey man i want to start a company on this side do you want to come no way yeah so um he yeah it, was, it actually started out he was doing a lot of work from his house and he was like do you want to come out for like two weeks and just help me out with some projects because he had taken on too many too much work um and so he only had one edit bay and um so he would he would edit you in the day and then i would edit at night um <laughs> but then the cool thing was during the day, I'd, I'd sleep in or whatever, and then they rented me a car, and then every day that... This was even before GPS. They had those TomTom. Yep, yep, yeah, 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 yeah. Every day they would, like, program somewhere for me to go check out in L.A. So, like, I had, like, two weeks where I was like, let's go to Santa Monica, go to Melrose, no go to, like, Melrose, check it out, and go shopping or whatever, um, and then go home and edit. And it w- I did that for two weeks. It was awesome. Went back and I was like, man, fucking America, LA is cool. Yeah. And then it was shortly after that, I get that call. Like it was probably like seven in the morning. And that's when we still had landlines. The landline goes off and he's like, hey, man, starting this company, you coming. And um, it was, uh, <laughs> I specifically remember this moment. It's kind of, it's kind of fucked up. But um, 
I remember getting like getting the call because I think there'd been email going back and forth. I was living with my girlfriend at the time, and we had our room. And then my friend John was our roommate, and uh, I hung up the call. And he was like, "Fuck yeah, dude!" And then she burst into tears. <laughs> I was like, "Yay!" Uh, <laughs> Damn, no way, dude. So. Getting that phone call, what was that experience like, especially after coming off of that two-week trip now? Because, I mean, obviously you said yes, and mm-hmm. I assume you and your girlfriend... Yeah, it didn't work out. Yeah. <laughs> well, so what was going through your mind at that time? It just seemed like such a... Uh, yeah, it felt like winning the lottery or something. Absolutely. Going and working with like the guy that I most revered in terms of his craft and going to America yeah, from England. And that was just such a crazy thing. It was like, you know, it's something that I never thought would have happened, but it did. And it was exciting and scary all at the same time. You know, it's like, uh, it's like, you know, getting that golden ticket. Willie Wonka, Absolutely. Right? You 100%. know, a hundred percent. And this is like an ongoing thing that I, I really start, you know, I've started to realize about doing a lot of these podcasts is the uh, initiative that, a lot of successful people in their craft take right early on in their career, their ability to just fucking do it. Yeah. Right. Just do it. Right. It all started out with you just taking those and splicing it and sending it to him and, you know, just, just trying and putting yourself out there. Right. And if you would have just continued to, serve coffee tea business like who knows what would have happened right but but for you to to have the foresight to just fucking go for it right you never know what's gonna happen man and you do that enough times good things will happen totally and especially when you're hungry i think um when you have that hunger and you have the desire to do what you want to do you really just gotta um you really gotta capitalize on that because you're not always going to feel like that. No, you know? not at all. Not and at all. When you have that energy and the excitement and that vision and drive, you got to go. You have because to. Because it's, it's so easy to have one or two people tell you no, and then you just say, oh, okay, cool, I guess. This and just give up. And fuck it. Yeah. You know, right? That, yeah. that, that That's that's so correct. And it, it's crazy because like when you're, when you get older, right, you start to get kind of in your, you stuck in your way and you build your life and you have your systems and all these things. Right. But when you're younger, man, that, that, that fucking drive inside of you Absolutely. is like a, it's like a glowing light. And it's just like, well, what are you going to do with it? What do you, are you just going to keep it all for yourself? Or are you going to fucking throw it out to the world and see what happens? Right. And a lot of times people just kind of keep that to themselves and are too afraid to push it out. But man, if you, you know, life is a blink of an eye, bro. It's a flash in the pan, you know, like, dude, 2023, we're almost done with January already, right? So it's like when you're younger, the clock is kicking. And and, and yes, of course, dude, you know, it's never too late and, and all of those things are true. But like, especially when you're younger, you want to be able to seize the moment, right? And and it's so cool to like hear your story and how it's really starting to you know really mold and come together. So, you you you, guy guy Harding, which is a great fucking name, like just <laughs> a great name. fucking name. Uh, I just got to put that out there. Uh, you know, gives you the call. Obviously, you and your girl, you know, and and you're coming, right? Do you remember the day that you landed? I do. 
Well, what was that like? I do because we got into a car accident. Wait, what? <laughs> really? They picked me up from the airport. We're going, we're <laughs> going driving from downtown LA, LAX through downtown up to, uh, they, they lived in like Beechwood Canyon. And some guy slammed on brakes in front of us and we hit the back of the car. Holy shit. Motherfucker, I've arrived. Let's go, baby. Yeah. Damn, that's so that's crazy. <laughs> but they got you okay. Um, okay, so you so you get out here and what what is some of the stuff that you start working on? Um, I got here, um, and then obviously I was just all in. Like and you know, they it was basically a startup. Obviously, he had a roster of clients and a roster of British clients as well as American clients, and I was just here to help. And I was I was just an assistant at the time, like I was an assistant editor, so I just help him out in just footage, help him with cuts, whatever it was, and um, and help. I mean, literally help build out the 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 facility yeah you know like literally like putting doors and shit on damn um but yes uh starting that and then um met a bunch of other like-minded creative people here um you know i was staying at a i ended up finding a, a house on craigslist like a share house mm-hmm. i was living with three other people uh one of the guys in a I mean, he's my oldest friend in LA who was like an agent at ICM at the time. And he's now, um, uh, what is he working on? He's at CAA or something. Um, not CAA. What's it called now? UTA or CAA is, uh, whatever. I have no <laughs> idea what the hell you're talking about, but that's okay. Um, uh, <laughs> a big agency. Oh, okay. Uh, okay, okay. Creative okay. arts agency. Um, Sounds about right. Yeah. And just kind of, yeah, started working there, uh, work. And that was, a, I think that was like, that was the thing that kind of helped me just go up real quick because we were working on some incredible, like high end projects and, um, you know, big, big scale stuff. And I just got to meet a lot of incredible directors, producers. Uh, we did a lot of work at MTV and um, that was when MTV was still in its heyday, like doing a lot of music stuff, um, award shows, movie awards, critics choice awards um the music video awards um and so you guys were like splicing this up and editing yeah and- yeah, yeah basically so we had we had the post house and so we we're cutting that up and then through that process and then also doing a lot of uh doing music videos and then a lot of most the majority of it was big multi-cam concerts okay so um and then and music videos and through that process i met my next mentor who really changed my life um his name is wayne isham and he was i mean one of the biggest music video directors in the world um during the 90s and 2000s i mean he still does great stuff but like he did all of metallica's music videos and but also like he would do pop like he did britney spears music videos like one of her in the desert on the mountains and uh in sync and justin timberlake and all these things and um he just like the way I put stuff together. And so every time he'd come in, he'd work with me. And that kind of um, got me more into the filming side of things. Because he's like, really? man, you have like a, yeah, he really didn't. Um, I mean, the, I could talk about this for hours, but it kind of, that was the segue between me being a like a, a full-time editor into going out and shooting and um, going on tours with bands and stuff like that. Wow, man. Do you... Um 
So you, how, how old are you at this time when you moved to, to California? Uh, I think I was 23, 24, 24, I think. So, so nice and young, right? Yeah. So at, at this point, how long were you working with Guy until you made the transition with Wayne? Um, well, uh, I was still working. I still worked with both of them, basically. But um, working with Wayne, I think I'd been in the company for a year or two. So I'm guessing I started doing stuff with Wayne when I was about 25 or 26. So um, And... I mean, I know we've talked about this, but um, I did some stuff with Blink One Eighty Two, yeah, and that was that was totally random. That was not through Wayne or Guy or anyone, but um, through a friend of mine from a bar. Um, we just became fast friends, and he was doing all of Travis Barker's um, videos for like Famous Stars and Straps, yeah, and um, his various companies and his. I don't know if you remember, like back in the day, he would do those like remixes where he of would, course. would just just drumming, yeah, yeah. But drummer like, boy, yeah, yeah, all that shit, yeah. Um, and so I became friendly with him, and through that relationship, um, that was when Blink decided to get back together because that they, they were broken up at the time, and I was like, hey man, it'd be cool to shoot a getting back together documentary, yeah. With them. And we went and shot that, and I was through the process of shooting that even though it never came out, um, showing Wayne some of that footage got me in the door to go and shoot the stuff with him. And so, so before we get to that, right, let's talk <laughs> about the experience of Blink-182, right? What was like, so, you know, from meeting the guy in the bar and doing all of that, eh, what was that experience like with Blink-182? Did you go on tour with them or? Yeah, basically it's... Um, so Haven, Haven was basically Travis's videographer. Um, he shot all the things that we just yeah. discussed. And um, when they decided to get back together, we we came up with this idea. Haven pitched it to the band. He went to each of the members and was like, hey, you guys are Because they, they announced that they're getting back together and then they were going to go do a, you know, a, a world tour, basically. Yeah. Um, so he pitched it to them. They were down with it, and it was just basically me and Haven with some cameras, and uh, we started out at the forum. Was the first time, I think I've met Mark before, but um, that was the first time meeting everybody. And they did tour rehearsals at the forum, I think, for like two weeks. Shit. Um, so just yeah, it was it was basically just hit the ground running kind of thing. And how long did you go with them? Um, I, th- I can't. Uh, it, we we filmed. I was still working at the post house. So I was um, Haven was on the road with them, so I, I wasn't able to go to all the dates. But I went to quite a few of the American dates. It's so funny. It's because like they didn't pay us to do it. If that makes yeah. sense. They were just like, "Here's your tour laminates. Come shoot whatever Let's you guys go. want." Kind yeah. Of yeah, yeah. Um, so whenever I could, we'd go film together. And then I remember me and Haven like. I remember like transferring him like two grand or something so that he could get out to Europe to go capture those dates as well. No way, man. I mean, yeah. shit, dude. Who so cares it was like self, you know, yeah. we didn't, we didn't have a lot of money, but it was like, dude, we have, dude, it's Blink-182. Yeah. Like such and a great, yeah. It was the, that was the thing. It wasn't like, it's so funny looking back at it now that I've produced and directed and done like proper, like, proper shows yes. with a budget and all the stuff like we were just like winging it they were just like 
Yeah, yeah. Here's the key. <laughs> you guys do your thing, whatever it is. <laughs> I mean, but how many people really ever get those experiences, right? And like mm-hmm. a lot of people, like I don't have the money or this or that yeah. and the other. But it's just like, dude. Once again, your life is a blink of an eye. So it's like if Blink One Eighty Two says, "Fuck, let's let's do this," right? And you know, whatever. You're not going to get paid, but you can follow us around and do it. Like, what, the, what man? Yeah. Like, why not? It was a right <laughs> experience, man. It was uh, so funny. Like I've seen like. The Blinkumentary is like something on the internet. I think it was like voted like one of the like top 10 documentaries that never came out kind of thing. Cause we ended up, we, I think we filmed with them for like a year on and off. Okay. Um, and I mean, I went to uh, Tom's place out in San Diego and shot with him there and Mark out here. The, the one thing that we could never like pin down was getting an interview with Travis. And then, um, it was so funny. Like we, but we were on the road and we got all like, and we were like editing some at the same time as we were filming. So we're putting things together, sending it to them. They dug it like, um, but it just kept going. Cause we weren't quite sure what the trajectory of the film was. If yeah. that makes sense. Like you have this, we came back together. And I think by the time we were close to finishing, they broke up again. <laughs> And that's was like <laughs> we had like a giant screening at the label like with like 40 of the execs like it was like we were like on the no way on the five yard line or whatever yeah and um i think after that like tom kind of bounced again and there was it was kind of dead in the water dude you guys got to make it like a two-part thing of them like getting back together <laughs> breaking up getting back together <laughs> totally. right like that give me yours yeah, yeah absolutely <laughs> you know uh man that's that's uh that's cool because i've seen clips of it and it's fucking awesome at, at the party you showed some yeah, clips yeah, yeah. it was so freaking cool and like such a such a rad experience you know i'm a huge blink 182 fan and um you know who knows how long if they'll stay together for a long time or not but um yeah man like that's I, hopefully you still get to put it out in the world one day man absolutely I, it's so funny i rewatched it the other day and like i think the the story of it doesn't track as well now because they have so much history now yeah but um those live performance edits that we did i mean we had the best of the best oh, you know if, if you think about the the greatest hits album yeah we have like amazing performance that's so cool dude that's yeah. so cool that's so cool awesome all right so um this is like around the time before you really started with wayne right um was this like around the time when you obviously were transitioning to get behind the camera, right? Yes. Um, so then you start working with Wayne. What is that experience like? And like, what is one of the, do you remember like the first big thing you did with him? I think the first big thing that I did with him was, um, uh, do you know, cage the elephant? A hundred percent. Um, we shot, I shot and edited their first ever, um, live DVD. Like they came out with a live DVD. It was in um, Chicago. Um, I forget the theater's name, but it was multicam show of their first show. So we, yeah. we met them, met them somewhere. Um, um, I we actually went. Um, I think they performed at Jimmy Kimmel. Went okay. to Jimmy Kimmel, met the band, hung out, and then he was like, "Cool, man, we're getting on a plane tomorrow. We're going to Chicago. We're gonna go film this thing." So we had two. I think. Uh, one night at the, I forget the theater's name. It was beautiful. Like I'm, I'm still really proud of that show. It came out really cool. 
band were great super nice guys matt's awesome his brother's awesome i forget his name right now i'm <laughs> blanking on names um and yeah filmed that came out well um put it out and that's when i think so and then i think the next big project after that was the foo fighters so you go from all of these experiences right you 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 you, you work with guy the blink 22 um cage the elephant obviously some time in there and then the fucking foo fighters and that was that was you you were with them for quite some time right yeah actually let me backtrack one second yeah. i think the this after cage i think the next one we did was metallica in quebec um they they brought out a dvd i think it was called uh quebec what, what's their um I'm blowing this right now. I'm I'm blanking on all the names. Uh, <laughs> I think it's Quebec Magnetic. They came out with a, a, a DVD. Went and shot them up there. And, uh, it was Halloween, and we shot two nights with them, and that was sick. Hanging out with them was incredible. And then the next one was the Foo Fighters. So you you when filming these right? Um, do you get like time to like like because you said like hanging out with them was incredible like. Do you um, like interview them before, after? Do you like hang out and party with them? Like, how does that? I think um, those first, uh, the first two. Um, I mean, Cage was still quite a young band, yeah. so that was a little bit more fun and hanging out vibes. Uh, Metallica, I was more just like, oh shit, that's crazy. Metallica. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, I remember that, like, getting there the first day I arrived in Quebec. They're like, you got to go to this room and shoot some stuff, and it's them back. Every I guess every tour they have a backstage room with their their entire setups like guitars and drums and all that stuff. So I go into the small room, probably about mm, three times the size of this room, and they're practicing. And so you film their practicing, and it's the four of them, and you're like, "What? The, where the fuck am I?" You know. Um, and they are incredible, dude. They're they're such they have such mastery over their instruments um, because. It, a lot of bands that you work with will have a pretty similar set list um, every show when yeah. they do tour. They'll have, you know, they'll they'll go through the thing. Metallica specifically, they they put on, they do it on the fly. So wait, what? Yeah, every show will be a different different set list. Like obviously, like the the big ones that you know, like yeah, the Master of Puffets or whatever. Like they'll they'll play that at the end to close the show, or whatever. But I just remember walking in and James would be like, yo, do you guys want to tr uh, practice anything? And I'd be like, yeah, man. Um, and it's saying, man, third bar, this. And then it'd be like, all right, cool. <laughs> like straight in from wherever it is. Wait a minute. So they'd be like, you want us to do it? And you could pick whatever you want out of their shit. Oh, not, not me. For them. Oh, when for them. When they're practicing. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Okay. Because okay. They, they'll be like, oh, I haven't played that song in a while. Uh, I just want to practice the guitar solo or whatever and they'll just go in straight from like you know two minutes into the song and just go straight in and i'm just like wow wow man cool. so freaking tight right yeah. like their music is is so tight and, and, and to be able to witness that you know just a few amazing i mean fucking legends right and and you're in there <laughs> some kid from south africa some like, kid hey, from south africa <laughs> Like at any time going through, it's like, do you ever have to like pinch yourself? Like, how the fuck did this happen? Absolutely, one hundred percent. Yeah, man. Um, 
so many pinch yourself moments for sure. Right. Like that's, 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 um, that's pretty fucking surreal, dude. Yeah. So from, from those experiences, how did the Foo Fighters, uh, thing come about? So that was again with Wayne. Um, Dave wanted to do a music video for a song called These Days. I'm not sure if you're familiar. So, and he wanted to do like a live video for it. So it was me and a team of, I think, six people uh, flew out to Australia. It was um, basically we went to all their tour dates in Australia and New Zealand. Um, and yeah, we basically just went on tour with them. And um, the video came out cool. It's like in classics, like classic Wayne style. It's like one of those like, you know, kind of like old school multicam things. But we would just basically shoot every single show as well as like um, kind of behind the scenes moments and stuff. So I got kind of, they just were like, all right, Matt, you go with the band, just shoot whatever and hang out. And um, it came out, came out pretty cool. Um, I look back because I shot it and edited it, but looking back at it now, I was like, there's so many things I would have done differently, yeah. but it's, it, I mean, it still came out great and they're awesome. We did shots at, like I went to Dave's house and like filmed him like packing for tour and stuff like that. <laughs> um, and then just them basically performing and then also all the behind the scenes banter and things like that, which we like crafted into the video, which came out great. Um, and then the th basically I think we got back from New Zealand and it was a week or two after that and Dave hit us up and he was just like, I want you guys to come on the South American tour. No way. And they wanted to shoot a documentary <laughs> of the the tour. Yeah. So, and that for me personally was one of the best uh, experiences of my life with a band. It was incredible because I was basically with them all the time and I was the lucky one that got to go and do like, you know, so you'll like you'll fly to Argentina and then they go do, um, you know, they'll be there the day before, or do sound check or whatever. And then they'll go do some stuff in Argentina. Like I went, we went horse riding in Argentina with the band and had this amazing lunch or like being in Brazil and traveling on a boat and having a barbecue out there and stuff like that. It was amazing. And the whole time that tour specifically was a, a bigger tour. So the way they traveled now <laughs> is they have like a Boeing 747, but the entire plane is first class no and they way. have their logo on the side and the whole crew and everybody's on it. And yeah, just cruise. So you're traveling through South America in a fucking <laughs> 747 with the Foo Fighters. Yeah. <laughs> I got some great shots of it, man. I, I should do some photos. <laughs> some great stuff. Wow, man. And, and you're sitting there the entire time, like filming all of this. Yeah, yeah. But like, I think that's a, I mean, I, I feel like through those experiences as a camera, cameraman or, you know, like um, uh, DP, you kind of, you learn, you pick and choose when yeah. you're filming. Cause um, I think it's more like a lot of it is building a relationship and being respectful. Yes. And I think after that Australian tour, that's why I was kind of, kind of became the guy that was cool to film some of the more intimate moments just because you, you don't want to be the guy who's putting a camera in somebody's 24 seven. Yeah. hundred percent. hundred percent. 
And so do you take that off of like uh, social cues or like how do you decide, okay, this is cool to film, but this is not? Absolutely, yeah. I think it's just more about like, because you're in the room, you're picking up B-roll, you're shooting shots, you're doing the thing, and then you can, you kind of just get a vibe when the conversation is becoming a little bit more personal. And you're just like, I, I don't need to film this. Yeah, you know? 100%. I think it's more just about like, not 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 social cues and as them shutting you down. Yeah, it's more just being like um, uh, sensitive to like what's going on and does this really need to be be on film? Absolutely. And and when a band like that travels, do they bring their family, friends, entourage? On um, on the Australian tour, it's just the band. Um, the South American one, they brought like the wives, family. Um, I don't think the kids came out on that one, but it was more, yeah, it was more like the, the significant others. And how long was that South American tour? Uh, two weeks, I want to say. We did Argentina, Brazil, and um, what's the other country? Brazil, Argentina, and the one on the left. I'd tell you if I saw my phone. But we did two Lollapalooza in Brazil, Lollapalooza in... The ones on the west west coast, and Peru, Argentina. Peru. That's the one, yeah. Wow. And dude, like the one of my the best moment I've ever had filming anything in my entire life was well, there's two actually. The the, the best was being on stage with them um, at Brazil's Lollapalooza. They were the last act on the last night. <laughs> And you go and Brazil, like South American crowds in general are just the most passionate, energetic, amazing crowds you could ever hope to play before. Right. <sighs> and you go out there and I think it was something like 200,000 people just singing every word and screaming and going nuts. Like I was like on, I had tears in my eyes. Yeah. It was like so beautiful. And then we did this other thing in the other show in Argentina, I think they did two nights at this um, <clears throat> at the stadium, and the one night was crazy, crazy um, weather storm and um, lightning everywhere. And I have this great shot of Dave on stage with this lightning, crazy lightning all no in the background. Way. I'll have to show it to you. Dude. I, I can put it up there. <laughs> Do you have it? Uh, yeah, somewhere. I have it on my phone. I can grab it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, if you can easily find it, that'd be awesome. Man, I mean, that's just got to be such a, a, a surreal experience on being on stage with a band as iconic as the fucking Foo Fighters. Absolutely. And then having 200,000 people sing along to every single word. Airdrop that to him, can you? Uh, yeah. Holy crap, dude. That's such a cool shot. Now was that a still or did that come from video? That came from a GoPro that we I put behind his um uh, his amp I think it was. Okay. Well, I think it was on Taylor's drum kit actually. Uh it should just be MacBook Pro when you're a drop. Dude. Drop. Tyler's MacBook? Yeah. There we go, baby. Yeah, um make that full screen so everyone can yeah. see that dude cuz it's so sick. <laughs> That's the coolest shot ever. And so what kind of cameras are you guys filming on? Uh, <clears throat> we had, um, it was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to see yeah. it. What did you guys say? 
Oh, we had shots. a we had a, a bunch of uh, different ones we shot like. On. Damn man. Yeah, it's nuts. That I, I took a screenshot of it because I don't have the the file. Yeah, so yeah. It's a little. Well, yeah, but we, we get the point. My God, that's so freaking cool, dude. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so yeah, um, especially Bunch of different being- cameras. It was multi format. We had red cameras, GoPros. Um, this was a little while back, so I think it was uh, HVXs. I want to say, but like not a, no big fucking camera. Not big giant. Like I was shooting on like a five D. Okay, why do like when they're doing like reality shows or whatever? Like why do they film on those big cameras? I think it's because um, mostly. I mean, it was industry standard, but I think it's mostly because you're going for like specifically like reality or doc sometimes you're going for such a long time that you know because of the time that you're filming without stopping so some of those smaller cameras can't cut it and then also you you with those bigger cameras you have all of the xlr inputs and like you know the 5d you have like a little onboard mic or something but with those other ones you can have love mics or just so many different things yeah. hooked up to because i always when i was like man it, the the cameras that they have now are so small why do they need so many different you know and also just something like as simple as like nd filters i mean this is kind of like nerd shit right now but like if you're shooting on like a dslr you literally have to physically take the nd filter off put it on but those bigger ones you can just switch through them because they're built into the camera so if you're shooting like a really sunny scene okay chuck the nd on then and especially if you're shooting dock or a reality show you go from outdoors to indoors you suddenly have to quickly switch it so that okay. you can expose properly yeah, yeah 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 i always wonder i was like man that just um it, it, it seems it just seems weird especially for today but now that you explain i totally get that um and they've got to be not as heavy as they used to be though back in the day mm-hmm. right oh, back in the day yeah I mean, dude, I I feel like all those fucking dudes have to have like terrible backs carrying those fucking cameras, 100%. and like especially like the dudes that just like walk around and like you see them walking through the jungle or wherever, like this big ass fucking camera on their shoulder. Like I could just only imagine how fucked up their necks are for like leaning that thing on. Absolutely, hundred percent. Okay, so you you go through this really really special experience, right? Being able to tour with the Foo Fighters. Um, what what year is this around? uh what was that i think it was like 2012 13 maybe yeah it was i mean that when i look back at my career like that those are definitely some of the highlights for sure like i don't being in that like one of my favorite things especially when you're on tour and especially when you have a band that's playing like stadiums or arenas whatever my favorite thing in the world is once the show's done and everybody's left and the guys are like sweep, sweeping up the confetti or whatever, just being in that room and having that, like, um, you still feel that energy yeah. in the room, if that makes sense. 100%. And I remember, like, there would be nights where I would be sitting up with, like, I remember specifically this one night where I think we were in, I think this is in Australia, but it'd be like, it was me, Wayne, Dave. And he's just like regaling us with stories about Nirvana. I was like, this is like the best night of my life. Dude. <laughs> sitting in that spot once everybody, you know, seeing the guys cleaning up the confetti and like you're just sitting there and this dude's, you know, talking about like Kurt. They were talking about Metallica and how Kurt and Dave went to go. Lars invited them over to the show and they almost got blown up by the uh, the pyrotechnics because they were sitting in the wrong spot. <laughs> Like just oh shit like God, that, you know? dude. It, it's so incredible to think the amazing 
career and longevity someone like Dave Grohl has had, right? Because like a lot of musicians, um, I don't say like a flash in the pan, but it's like they have their moment and then that's it. But like going from Nirvana, mm-hmm. which is, you know, one of the greats, right, of, of all time, and then transforming from a drummer to then, you know, the the lead guy mm-hmm. to the, you know, the Foo Fighters, like that's... I always respected him for that, man. Like coming out of the shadow of Nirvana and yeah. creating something that's, you know, excelled way further than Nirvana ever did. You know, Nirvana, it's insane yeah. what he's been able to do. I mean, it's so funny thinking, like that was part of, for me specifically, it was, that was one of the, also just being on tour with them was like a kind of pinch yourself moment because like I learned playing guitar to Evelyn. Yeah. That's, I, I learned playing guitar to Evelyn and that's when I was still in South Africa as a kid and cut to however many years later and you're sitting there and he's telling you stories about Kurt. It's like, I mean, it's just chills man like it's just so fucking cool right Absolutely. and like how many people in this world get that unique experience right there's not For many sure. yeah. not many like that's you know to say and to be still so young at that point right and and to be living this this life and surrounding yourself with these very very uh special and talented individuals um it, it's such a cool experience, right? Absolutely, yeah. You know, and, and at that time, dude, how old are you? Like, fucking... 2012, I'm already... Getting old, baby. Yeah, yeah. I must have been late 20s. Yeah. Yeah, yeah late 20s, right? Like, so freaking cool. Like, so unique. So, um, you get back from that tour, right? What, 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 what comes next in your journey? What comes next... came next <laughs> i ended up meeting um i don't know if you remember on mtv back in the day there was a, a show called the buried life yeah of course yeah, yeah. so i fortuitously randomly met ben and dave from that show who okay. had started a production company and did a show with them um and then through that relationship uh went on to do another show with um do you know rory kramer um, he's a videographer. Um, no, social influencer. Okay, you want to pull him up, Rory uh, Kramer. Does, Rory Kramer. He yeah. does. Um, he does. Uh, I mean, he does a lot of stuff with Bieber right now. But he was, he basically uh, made his mark doing um, a lot of like uh, DJ. Oh. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I definitely see this dude. Okay. So I ended up spending a year with him, creating a show from uh, MTV where we. The show was called Dare to Live. Uh, the out when we when we created it and sold it to MTV, it was called Rory's Day Off, and it was a cool show, man. I worked on it for a year, and we would basically go out with an artist and uh, film their show, okay. and then the 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 conceit of the show was film the show, film the concert, and then the next day take them on the most epic day off ever. <laughs> right and so, so what was that like who it was amazing so uh we went uh so cruella okay the, yeah. uh, djing sisters we, we took them up to lake tahoe they they played a show there and then we took them on a crazy day on the lake bottom bouncing skiing all sorts of crazy shit um khalid we what do we do with him um 
it's it's also like they were all like kind of like super active things like Martin Garrix. We were in Vegas and then we went and did some like crazy Nerf gun battle with these like SS guys and crashing cars and shit. Oh, and shit. then like we went to Japan with Sean Mendes and um, went to like one of those sumo restaurants where you dress up as a sumo wrestler and you go do sumo with real sumo guys um uh, ray shrimmered we did a thing in florida and then we took them like alligator wrestling oh shit um yeah it was nuts man it was uh, iggy azalea uh we did some stuff in um, la went horse riding and shot our music video um who else did we do uh, there were a couple others. I'm I blanking. think I remember talking Chainsmokers. Chainsmokers, yeah, yes. yeah, 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 yeah. Rory actually, that's how he came up. He was the their videographer and kind of blew up uh, doing their thing. And uh, we went. We also had like another like Rory has this thing where um, he modifies like old cars. Like he'll cut, he'll chainsaw like the roof off, and then go do crazy J turns and stuff. Okay. Um, so we did all, all sorts of that kind of stuff with it. Um, it was awesome, man. Uh, also, just like another one of those things where you're working with really cool people, but also having a cool life experience. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And so you guys filmed the entire season, and you guys didn't even know who like this was going to get sold to or anything? Oh, no, we, had, we did. Um, basically, we did a pilot. The pilot episode was with Cruella at okay. um, Lake Tahoe. And then um, MTV picked it up and greenlit it for, I think we did, it was eight or 10 episodes. And so when you're going through these experiences, do you actually get to experience the thing too, or are you just filming all of it? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I do. I, f- I forgot the craziest one. We went with Steve Aoki to uh, <laughs> Hawaii and went big wave surfing. And I'm like on the back, <laughs> I'm on the back of like a jet ski with some dude who's usually like, if, he, you know, professional jet ski guy that they shoot like Jaws, you know, the Jaws uh, yeah. break with. And we have like 30, 30 foot waves. And I'm on the back with the camera holding on to him and he's just gunning it, trying to get this footage. It was nuts. Dude, you're, you, you're not uh, shy to big waves, are you? No, no, no. I think my South African experience probably helped out with that. One. I'm sure it set you up for this experience. <laughs> yeah. Holy shit. And so on this jet ski, you're like having to like mob over them because they have yeah. to like pull them into the wave. 100%. Um, so we were on like shooting jet skis and then they have another jet ski dedicated to uh, like pulling them in. But I definitely like saved Steve Aoki's life. Wow. Because he, him and the, the jet ski that pulled him in got taken out by this big wave. And uh, the guy was trying to get the jet ski and I was on the back and like we went in. I grabbed him by his arm and then we went out before like this giant um, wave came and hit us. What did he say? Uh, he was thankful. <laughs> Bro, dude, that thing can, fu- dude, I almost died off of like a, like a, like a two foot wave because what happened was it kept on bringing me down and down like a, like a, like this, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And every time yeah, I try to go it. up and de- like, it's crazy, but I can, a 30 foot wave? 100%. I mean, I think I have some photos of it somewhere. Oh my fucking god, dude! Dude, it was nuts. Like, um, I mean, these are all very, very unique experiences, and and I like how you start. Like, I say, (laughs) I saved Steve Aoki's life. (laughs) Like, how many people get to say that? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I helped for sure. I know, I know, I know, I know what you meant. I know what you meant, but that's like really cool. Yeah. Um. So, do you have it? 
Uh, uh, bear with me one second. No, no, no worries. No worries. Um, so you guys do this and it, it, does it get picked up for a second season? Or you it, guys did, it didn't get picked up for a second season, unfortunately. Um, yeah, I can show you real quick. Like that was, those are the boats and that's the waves. I mean, and also it was like the worst weather. Holy shit. Cause we only had one day to shoot it. Yeah. And you know, cause of time constraints with the network, whatever yeah. we had did the one day with the show and then we had the next day to shoot whatever we could. And it was like, whether you didn't want to go out. Yeah. And but we're like, were you scared? I have to. Uh, a little bit, yeah. <laughs> and how was Steve Aoki? Was he? <laughs> Shit, dude, that's a big wave, bro. He, I don't want to be on that. Yeah. Um, he was cool. Um, I think there was another one. Um, but yeah, uh, I mean, they were all game for it, man. Yeah. We did shark diving with him as well. Whoa. What's uh, that like? Um, those are... Uh, that's cooler because it looks crazy because they're like big sharks, but yeah. um, they're not that like vicious. You know what I mean? It's not like great whites or whatever. Okay. Like the the ones that we dove with were like. And so what are you in a cage? Oh, no, I was on the boat. <laughs> they were down there. Were they at a cage? Uh, they were in a cage and then they decided to go freestyle. <laughs> yeah. If you ever see videos of Rory and uh, if you know him, you know he's not. He's not scared of any challenges. Dude, that's so weird, bro. <laughs> he calls himself a professional life liver. I guess so, bro. <laughs> He's a great Tyler, guy. would you ever go swimming with sharks with outside of a cage? No. no, no, no. <laughs> I'm in the cage. Me too. Ten, <laughs> 10 out of 10 times. There's no way. I, I, I have like a fear of the ocean, right? Not of the ocean, but like uh, swimming in the ocean. And I guess maybe it's like a control thing. It's like because he can't fucking see anything, right? Right, right? And I know that like shark attacks are... are, are are few and far between um, the amount of sharks we kill every single year compared to the amount of, uh, didn't we look this up before? Yeah, it was a while ago. I think it was like a hundred. We, we looked this up when we, I think it's a hundred million sharks a year are killed. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. it's either a million or a hundred million, completely different numbers. Right. But like, <laughs> but, but still even a million, that's a lot. Like that's, that's a lot. Right. What, what does it say? So, uh, an estimated 100 million sharks are killed per year. Wow. 100 million sharks per year. And, and that's then, your, like, fishing and stuff as well? Obvious, yeah, yeah. And then how many uh, humans die each year from shark attacks? This is crazy, dude. Uh, 73 unprovoked shark bites. Not even kills. Uh, total wow. 47 kills last year. So, 47 kills. <laughs> like that's not even it's not even fair no, like it's just not, not even and that's so many sharks bro so many yeah 100 million that's a lot bro imagine if sharks were killing 100 million people a year <laughs> yeah, totally. bro we wouldn't even know what to do with ourselves like we wouldn't even know what to do and it's just so fucking weird that a lot of people are afraid of the ocean right yeah. a lot of people are, are are scared why because of fucking shark but like realistically sharks should be very very afraid of us 100%. right yeah it's just those those numbers don't even make sense bro <laughs> I, I and i know we've talked about this before but i think it's because of like uh the the whole everything that that movie jaws did right absolutely and yeah. even though it came out like in the 70s and everything but it, it, it changed the 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 culture forever right it's funny it's like me and my sister were when we, we were kids and after watching Jaws, obviously, it's like 
We were scared to swim in the swimming pool at night. Dude, might be a shark in there. A hundred percent, bro. A hundred percent. I used to be afraid to swim. Bro, that's kind of weird, right? To think Mm. about. There's no fucking sharks in the pool. But like, it's nighttime and you don't know what's in there. And it's just like, your brain is a little kid. It's like being afraid of monsters in your closet, but there ain't nothing in your closet except clothes. Right? It's just like weird (laughs) shit that we think about. I a hundred percent used to be the same exact way. Uh, But yeah, a hundred million sharks, dude. That's fucked up. Okay, so... um, you go through that experience, right? What, when, like, is there anything that came? Because I, I know eventually the the show that you're currently working on is uh, Alone. What's it called? Uh, Life Below Zero. Life Below Zero. Such a great show. Sorry, I called it Alone, but <laughs> they wouldn't like that. I was gonna say I was gonna say Naked and Afraid, but you know, <laughs> I've never seen that show. Uh, I just know it's a show out there. Um, when so was there like other things that came in between eventually working on that show? Uh, yeah. Um, I'm just trying to think. The thing that I did for a while. So I was doing these tours with bands. Um, live concerts, music videos, but at the same time, I was still working with Guy at the edit house. So I'd go out, do these things, and then come back, and that was kind of like my stable like day job. If yeah. you will. Um, at that time, I was doing a lot of um, development work with the BBC. So development is basically means that you show ideas, new show ideas. Um, so they'll go out, they'll shoot what they call a sizzle, which is like an idea for a show, yeah. you know, 10, five minute thing. So I was just cutting those for them. And one day, <clears throat> one day they had this idea for this thing they called like Bush Alaska, I think was the original name. I for love it. Alaskan Bush. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and they, and so they came back, um, a friend of mine, um, Tim, Pastor, who uh, created this show, I was working with BBC at the time, um, went out and shot these kids, in, uh, not kids, shot these characters <laughs> in Alaska, and we put this show concept together, and um, Nat Geo loved it, and um, they green, and it was one of those things where I'd done quite a few of these different ideas for them, these different sizzle reels, these different show concepts. And I turned to him and I was like, man, if this one goes, I think I'd like to work on it because I found like the character is super fascinating. Uh, the world is inherently dangerous where they are. Yeah. And um, they ha- the way that they, the way we put it together was different to what was out there in terms of like follow doc slash reality TV and had a different tone, had a different vibe. And the characters were interested that were just super interesting to me. And I was like, man, if this one goes, like I'd love to work in it. And yeah. along with um, Rory's show, it was one of the firstest, uh, one of the fastest um, uh, Greenland projects. That, oh. uh, Rory was like a week. I think Life Below Zero was like a week. And the network was like, yep, let's go. And um, so I worked on. I worked on the first season, worked on, and then it was it was like kind of like the little show that could, if you will, because yeah. you know like Nachia was promoting like we didn't get a lot of promotion, we didn't get a lot of advertising, we didn't get a lot of that for the first season, and then they greenlit another one, but was still kind of like apprehensive as to is the show gonna work out kind of thing, 
And then it just kept going. And then we started getting billboards. And we're like, oh, fuck, this is cool. Oh. And then we started getting Emmy nominations. And we're like, this is nuts. And during uh, through that time, I mean, I've worked on that. It's crazy to think about now, but I've worked on that show on and off for 10 years. Wow. And I've taken sabbaticals. I've, uh, actually, like just thinking of the timeline, like when I had the opportunity to create that show with Rory, that was when I took some time off of Life Below Zero. Like I took a season off. and so. I, but I think all in, I've probably worked on, I mean, at least six seasons of the 10 seasons or, or six years out of the 10 years that wow. the show's been going, yeah. And so what is, how, how is that, entire process set up with like the filming and the camera work and then getting delivered to you and the editing like how is that all done it is an army <laughs> i mean it's it's crazy because basically every episode uh we focus on four different characters and we call them camps okay but you'll have four different characters that live in very different areas of alaska and in terms of the logistics of it it's hard because they have to send teams to each of those locations. And then so and a team could consist of four to five people, a producer, a cameraman, potentially a second cameraman, a DIT, which is the guy that kind of copies all the cards and makes sure all the, the media is cool. Then they have safety. Then also the logistics of literally getting people out there is tricky sometimes too because like you'll fly into an airport, but then you have to take a an hour snow machine ride to get to where the person lives or whatever. Um, I mean, the, they, they have crushed it. Like in terms of our field crew, they're amazing. Our DPs have won. I mean, I think seven consist, uh, consecutive Emmys at this point, just cause I mean, they're literally like, could you imagine like you're in a place, there's a fucking snowstorm. You're shooting, you're with a character that's trying to stay alive, but not only do you have to stay alive, you have to make sure that the batteries are plugged. You know what I mean? Are the batteries charged? Like so just crazy. in terms of like the logistics of like being a camera operator and they're shooting a subject is nuts. <laughs> I got offered to go up there one year and I was like, nah, man, I think I'll stay, I think I'll stay in the Adipe. <laughs> I got my coffee coming. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. How do they even um like how do they pitch tents and have food and have absolutely they have their whole the, the crew quarters. Um, some of some of the some of the characters that we film do have uh, larger properties where they'll have like a, a like a a barn or a place where they can stay. But yeah, then there's also and especially when they go out to do these excursions or hunts or something yeah. like no, they're literally putting up tents plugging in generators charging batteries in their own little world that you got to make sure you don't get on camera and go do the thing damn that's got to be so crazy it's such tough conditions yeah. to film this and how do they even find people to get on the show i think um that is where um the casting uh the casting guys of bbc are just really great ali uh seagull is amazing um her and a couple other people from bbc kind of just worked on it's literally just doing zoom calls um or going out there and meeting people and then it's it's, it's almost like through word of mouth in a way yeah um they'll be like oh like i'm not sure if i want to do the show but 
there's this other guy that lives Tom, down the street that 16 miles down yeah, yeah, yeah. No, would do it right yeah that's got to be um it, it, it's it's a hard life right mm-hmm. it's definitely a very hard life um and to be able to capture it and show you know the world different ways that people live and especially in these very remote areas is such it gives people such a unique perspective right i mean because in 2023 in every sense of the imagination it is the greatest time that has ever been to ever live right i mean we're in we're in um, a lot of people are in homes and we have especially in westernized civilizations ac heater water supermarkets like all of these you know things that we plumbing right that that we take for granted right Mm -hmm. and for forever forever up until you know the past 100 150 years right the way of life was pretty much the same minus little small changes right and then major technological advances have come and especially the past 100 years dude in the past 20 30 years it's fucking exploded right it's literally insane and but then to see the last couple of weeks have been it's just (laughs) like that dude and 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 as time goes on it just gets faster and faster right but it's really cool to give this unique perspective on the way these individuals live their life for you going through this experience um you've won yourself an emmy right um what what was that experience like? Because we we hear, you know, Emmy Award winner, you know, Oscar winner, like all of these things, right? But to actually win one of those and like go into your office and see it on your fucking shelf, like I, I know it's just a competition and like, or, you know, it's um, not a competition, but, um, you know, award ceremony, but it's like for your industry and and mm-hmm. the people all over the world like it's it's like the fucking catalina wine mixer you know <laughs> for for uh for tv right mm-hmm. um what was that night and experience like when when a let me ask this like when you got nominated for that time right and then winning it well what did that feel like and what was that like um <clears throat> so i've been nominated three times the first time was during COVID, um, and so they didn't have any show. Yeah, um, a friend of mine, Eric, who was also nominated, put together like a thing at his house, and you know we had like a little barbecue, and he put it up on the big screen, and it was kind of like bitter. Yeah, it's just kind of yeah. like, oh man, this sucks. Yeah. Like the the one year, because I think just getting nominated is a, a really fucking cool, cool. really cool. It's thing, beautiful. Man. Yeah, and you know you. Eric always has this uh, saying, he's like, we get to go to the dance. But then that year, like, I was like, the, first, the one year I get nominated, yeah. we're in COVID no lockdown. Dance. <laughs> They're literally, like, it's on a Zoom call. Yeah. And I'm just like, man, bummer. And because um, I had taken some time off from the show working on the Rory project and a couple of other projects. So the year before, um, a couple of the other editors got nominated and they got to go do the whole thing. Yeah. And, and, I was, and they all talked about how amazing it was and how cool it was. I was like, God damn it. <laughs> yeah. So um, the first year was a bit of a bummer. And then the next year um, got nominated again, which is awesome. And then, and and that was also a slightly pared down version of the Emmys just because we were kind of coming out to the end of uh, COVID. Yeah. But like it was still, you couldn't take a guest. It wasn't as fun as it usually would be. But um, it's a weird thing, man. It's like, it's something that I really wanted until I got it. 
and getting it like i'm super stoked that i have it and it's a calling card and it's like something kind of like a box was checked or yeah. whatever like i think if i had one or if i won four the feeling would be the same it's like um it's it's uh it's awesome but it's also like once it's I, I don't know. It's almost like accomplishing a goal. Once yeah. the goal is done, for me anyway, once the goal is accomplished, I'm like, all right, cool. Now it's the next thing. Yeah. And so is it awesome? Yes. Um, will it, did it change my life? Not specifically, but I'm super grateful and yeah. honored and just being recognized. And it is funny, like, because the, the, the following year, this last year, we got nominated again and that was they had like the actual show and the thing yeah and we didn't win and i was like huh and like <laughs> you know it's a bummer and you kind of like when you're in there it's you against you know four other people or four other shows and i mean at the end of the day it is a little bit of a popularity contest but like winning is super nice and like um i mean definitely like you say, it's like, oh, Emmy Award winner X. Yeah. Like, it's not bad. No, no. <laughs> but it's it's not life-changing, if that makes sense. It doesn't define you. Exactly. It doesn't define you. But it's it's rad. Like, because, I mean, Guy, who I think is one of the best editors I've ever worked with, um, barring a couple of others, but um, he's been nominated twice but never won. Yeah. And he was the person that taught me how to do it. Isn't that crazy? You know what I mean? That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Right? It's like uh, Leonardo DiCaprio... Um, you know, doing all of amazing movies and films, right? And never, I mean, obviously, he's won, you know, an Academy Award now, but yeah. like for but so long, for so long, for so long, and it's like, so wait, wait, Leonardo's never, you know, mm-hmm. he's he he's like the the goat of this generation, right? Um, but once again, those things don't define you, but absolutely, it's icing on the cake. It's cool. That's nice. It's a very very unique perspective, and you know, walking into your office and seeing that on the the wall, right? That's like it's it's pretty freaking cool but mm-hmm. once again if you let these things define you you let your ego get the best of you it's a downward spiral from there right absolutely you know you won what's next 100 and i think that's the thing like just thinking about like all the amazing people that i've worked with like going on that tour of the Foo fighters going on that thing and it's like Wayne, who's this incredible director, and he's done all these crazy, crazy, amazing uh, accomplishments. Once that job is over, it's like, all right, cool, start again. Yeah. In a way, you know what I mean? It's like that's the thing, and that's the thing in this industry. I think is you're like you're only as good as the last thing you did, and once that thing is done, you, let's go again. Yeah, We're gonna absolutely. Start again. Start again. Yeah, definitely. That's a, you know, your, your industry is, is a very unique world because like a lot of times people, although people will move around from job to job, right. You know, eventually you find your job and people will stay in it for quite some time. Right. And it's like, um, you know, it's like every single day, the same job, you know, even though you might move up the ladder, but still it's like the same, the same, the same, right. Mm -hmm. For, for you guys, right. It's like, you have this job, you have this task. And then once it's done, it's fucking done. Even though you might be on something for five six seven eight nine but once that shit's done it's it's done there are very few things that stay on for very very long periods of time right um so that's a very unique perspective but dude your story as a whole this kid growing up in 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 south africa 
um, <clears throat> you know, coming from the life that you lived to be able to create this really unique life for yourself from the UK, then coming to America and having these very cool experiences. Um, it, it's, it's such a cool story to tell, right? Like it really is. And, and, and when you leave this planet, right, man, it, a lot of people will be too afraid to ever put themselves out there to ever, you know, try something different to fucking get themselves out of their comfort zone. Right. But for you and, 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 and people out there that have been able to live these types of lives, if you can do that, the world can give you a lot back. I'm not saying every time, man, there are people that fucking put themselves out and fucking their whole life fucking crumbles. Right. But oh, yeah. if you have the foresight and, and the, the ability to just fucking do it, man, good things can come your way. You know, as, as we start to kind of wind this down for that younger individual listening to, to your story, what is some type of advice that you would give them? If like, think of it like this, like if you were looking back at your younger self, right? Mm -hmm. What advice going through all of these years of experience would you give yourself today? That's an interesting question. Um, I was thinking back, I wasn't, I was slightly introverted when I was younger and nervous about putting myself out there. I think the advice I give to a younger self or somebody that's coming up is not to be scared about what they want to do, but be respectful. I think there is a difference between, oh, I'm just charging. I'm going to do it. Fuck this. Yeah, let's go. But then at the same time, having that, that um, energy can turn people off. Yeah. So I think it's about being respectful about the people that you look up to. And um, it's almost like what we were talking about when it comes to filming people and just having that intuition of when, when to go and when not to go and being sensitive to other, other people's uh, thought process or... Uh, I think um, I think that's what I would tell myself is like, just I, I think if I'd gone earlier, you know, it's like you could just you could have accumulated more or, or done more. And I mean, everything has a time and a place. And, you know, like having a successful career is like a combination of being prepared for opportunity, but also having that luck. Yeah. And um, yeah, I think. Um, if you have a dream and if you have a vision for what you want, you should pursue it and put yourself out there. But then also be, be a person you'd want to hang out with. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. Like if you get to a point where you're able to help other people out, which I luckily I'm fortunate enough to be in a position in my career where I can give people a shot or like, introduce them to somebody that might make their life a lot better or get them a job or something. It's, it's a delicate balance between being persistent and uh, motivated, but then also being somebody that you would want to hang out with. That's not like a, somebody yes. that's like a yapper dog. Absolutely. You know I mean? Absolutely. <laughs> 
Um, it, it's it's so funny that you said that. I was just listening to uh, Impulsive, uh, Logan Paul's podcast, and Andrew Santino was on there, and uh, he said, "Don't be a dick." Yeah. Right. It's like, don't be a fucking dick. And what you said is so true. Is like, you know, be someone that you'd want to hang out with. Yeah. yeah right. Totally. Like that's like it's so fucking important, right? And there is a fine line of being like confident and cocky, right? Absolutely. And and especially being young, like you do want to put yourself out there, but be respectful at the same time. Mm-hmm. Right. And 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 I think that, you know, that will get you far enough in, not far enough in life, but that will get you far in life. But you also said something else, luck, right? Mm-hmm. Dude. People like, you know, like uh, talk about like the secret and all of those, you know, fucking types of things. Right. But at the end of the day, it's like, yeah, man, you could uh, put yourself out there, fucking have that go getter mentality and just fucking go for it. Right. But there there is luck involved in life, man. Mm-hmm. There is luck involved in life. And, and, and you cannot forget that. And so the person that's, you know, successful that says you know i got all of this because of my hard work and foresight and ingenuity and blah 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 blah. and all of those things are very very valid mm-hmm. but luck is also involved 100 like luck is also involved Absolutely. for you right um 2023 is on us right now what's what, what what's next what's next um <clears throat> got a couple of things in the works uh working on a very I don't think I can really talk about it, but working on a very interesting music project um, that will hopefully see the light of day later th- later this year. Love it. Um, and um, still grinding on Life Below Zero. Uh, I think we're on season 11. Damn. It's funny, though, because it, internally it's season 11, but I think on Nat Geo it's like season 20 or something because they they label it differently or whatever but yeah basically year 11 of life below zero is happening this year wow so Um, they film like two seasons a year or whatever yes exactly okay okay okay, so we have what they call it's like the 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 first part which is like the snow and then they call it the thaw when it's like summertime and it's greener and they go to different stuff during that time so i think that we have like two seasons a year but like this is year 11 of the show so that's 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 going along. We just started up again. Um, what else is going on? Uh, yeah, man. Then taking care of some chickens. <laughs> <laughs> Got some eggs on the way. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, man. Just trying to trying to keep going. I love it, man. I uh, I really appreciate you coming on the show, bro. I appreciate you having yeah, me, man. Uh, I was, I was uh, I, yeah. I was like, really, you want to? Talk to me. And Fuck cool, yeah, man. dude. You got a great story, bro. You Come on, man. We just talked for almost two fucking hours. Wow. And you have a, a very, very unique story and a cool story. And some of the things that you've been able to do and and, and live, I think it's it's very important. And, and, and I know people will gravitate towards it. Um, so thank you very much Seriously, for coming on the show. One last thing I'd say is I heard this the other day, which I thought was interesting. Just going back to like the, the advice for people coming up or what would you say younger self is um especially when you're younger walking into rooms with powerful people or if you're working your way up trying to do something um uh, nerves can be involved right you get nervous in those situations and some some somebody told me once that if you're in a if you're in a room where 
you're feeling that way, just treat everybody like an old friend. And that just really resonated with me for some yeah. reason. It's just like, just treat them as if they're your old friend. And then you'll like the comfort level goes a hundred up, you know? Absolutely, man. That's a great advice, man. Treat everyone like an old friend. I mean, cause everyone wants to be treated well, right? Absolutely. You know? And everyone's a stranger until you're not, you know? I love that. That's a good quote. Everyone's a stranger until they're not. Bro. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, For people listening, where can they find you, reach out? You got social media, any of those fun things? Uh, Yeah, I'm on Instagram, uh, (laughs) mattedwards.tv. And then uh, my website's the same. Um, I'm not super active on social, but I post stories every now and again. I love it. (laughs) I love it. I love it. I love it, brother. Thank you so much, Matty Dukes. I appreciate you, brother. Appreciate you, man. That's a wrap, baby. Don't forget to like, subscribe, leave a comment, all that fun stuff. Have a beautiful night, people. (laughs) Boom, baby! (laughs) Oh, yeah. Thank you, man. Nice Nice